howdy-doody little buckaroo. To you, like animals, we sure do. So come on down to the weekly meeting of the Animal Fan Club. Cuckoo! Cuckoo! The cuckoo clock is proclaiming that it's creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. Roar! And open the door to join us for the eighth meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm creepy little elf Meredith. And I'm stovepipe sponge supporter Mike. <laughs> we meet every week at our clubhouse we like to call the Dalmatian Station. Ruff, 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 ruff. To talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise we make up for in unbridled enthusiasm. And childlike wonder. Wow! Whoa! So saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. Oh, can you feel the Christmas cheer? I sure can, Meredith. It's coursing through my veins. I see that you have this lovely Christmas tree set up here in the Dalmatian station. It is, we are very much in Twinkle Light edition. Yeah. Stockings are hung on the stereo cabinet with care. There's cheap tinsel. There's plaid bows. We've even got a bunch of chickens festooning our Christmas tree here. I did see. It's a very bird-centric class Aves tree experience. Always. Always. You are in the class Aves headquarters, and we must celebrate that for Christmas. Well, that's great. I even see, is that holly up in the corner? Is that meant to be a sort of mistletoe gesture on the wall over there? Where? Right there. Oh, yeah. Those are hollies. Oh. I made those out of construction paper. You decked the halls with construction paper hollies. Yes. Because I am... Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Yeah. But I'm also like six years old going on 34, so... I always say that I'm a a man-baby aspiring to be a (laughs) man-child. Totally. I know a few people who are much older than me and much more childlike than I am. Good to have goals. Got to work towards something. And I am working towards asking you this question. Ooh. How was your week in animals? My week in animals was pretty good, I got to say. Yeah? I saw a video of a mating fail, if you will. Oh, my gosh. Where a deer was confused and thought that, like, you know those fake deer that you can buy in the store that you can, like, practice shooting arrows at? Yeah, yes. Well, he thought it was a real deer until he undulated so (laughs) extravagantly that the plastic head just fell right off the deer, and that was the moment that he realized it wasn't a real lady deer. Oh, no. Which I think, um, you know, I've heard that deer are pretty crazy during their rutting season. Rutting? Yes. That's what it's called. It might be called that. Oh, okay. Okay. Jingle, jingle. Mike is also wearing little antlers right now. Yeah, they're on top of my um, headphones that I'm wearing. Very cute. Meredith provided the hair clips. She doesn't have any gaff tape, which I don't understand as a person that has gobs of gaff tape at my home and at my studio and usually in my backpack. Well, why didn't you bring some? I forgot. I was rushing. (laughs) Well, here are some sustainable clips that I can later reuse in my own hair. That's nicer than gaff tape, which would just be balled up and thrown into a corner. Yes. I saw a great video, too. Also with some even-toed undulates, oddly. It was just a sweet little video on the dodo, which if you don't follow the dodo, you must. It's just one heartwarming animal tale after another. And then this one was about a baby zebra, as you would say. I love or zebras. Or a zebra, 
as I would say. Single-toed undulates. They're single-toed. Thank you. It's cool. I messed it up earlier, so, you know, we're even. We're learning. (laughs) Exactly. So there was this orphaned ZB out on the plains. The camera pans over to a pack of grown ZBs. And so the little orphan ZB sees them and like recognizes his kind and he runs over to them and they welcome him into their fold. And now he has a home. That is adorable. It was really cute. I'd never really seen a baby ZB before. They're like horses, but they're not as um chunky, I think. They're like not as built up. Yeah, I think of the ze- zebra as more of a streamlined creature. Yeah. Yeah, they got to run from all of those cheetahs and lions. Yeah, and it hasn't had the interference of humanity to, you know, select out right. ones that meet specific standards. Right, right. We're not breeding zebras for a post-Thanksgiving feast dog show. No way. We watched the dog show, and I, you know, I was at once... So tickled by the cuteness of all of these dogs. Like, I could not tear myself away. Like, I had to go shower, but I just was like, just just one more category. Just, I just want to see sporting dogs, please, because they're so fucking cute. But then you start thinking, like, first of all, these judges are just grabbing at the undercarriages of these dogs. Yeah, they are (laughs) not asking for consent they're just going no, for it they're just reaching up in there and honking it yeah and the dogs are like yeah. <laughs> but yeah despite this cuteness i was like so much of this stuff is the mere existence of this dog show is because of the standards breed standards yeah and it's all about upholding these unnatural breed standards yeah so fucked up well, everything is. And yet I'm completely complicit in it. I'm like ooing and eyeing over I know. just a golden retriever. It's the problem cute. with this, um, you know, thoughtfulness that you have about yourself. It's self-reflection is, and skepticism. It's difficult. If I were to give one critique of the dog show, the Thanksgiving dog show that comes on after the parade, I feel that Johnny Weir with his fabulous looks that sometimes I think push the boundaries in an annoying way, but you yeah. know, whatever it's fashion. So like love, you know, I, I appreciate the risks that he's taking. I don't always love every individual look, but I love frequently components of each look and uh-huh. like, you know, the general like who day we're that he brings to everything that he does. But I just wish that he would consult some of these divas on their knee down fashion, because I feel like the look is like a short, like, executive like politician dignified like skirt situation uh-huh. and then like a brightly colored stocking or like a, a slight like not necessarily a nude colored stocking usually like a decidedly non-nude colored stocking whatever nude is to each individual handler right and then kind of like a chunky comfort shoe i know i was noticing the fun like clarks and easy spirits Right. Running around on that. Which do make easy spirits make no sound on trampled grass, <laughs> no, as we all know. But <laughs> nor on that astroturf at the dog show. <laughs> yeah. Polyester carpet. Yes. But, but I just thought that um because some of the rest like the ensemble would look good, but it was like the photograph of like what was actually being televised wasn't the full look, you know. Right, right. So I would just have to say that I think maybe Johnny could start some sort of like knee down fashion consulting service. I agree. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I totally agree. Yeah. You know, the guys are all just like wearing suits. So right. it's like a little bit more straightforward and, and the women are trying to dress, I guess, the same like business level, but for the performance of what's going on, it's just 
it's like a bit of a restrictive garment. It's like I feel like yeah. sometimes the thighs are held together in a way where the gait looks uncomfortable, you know? Yes. We should worry more about the gait of the human, too. Yeah. I think it does make a difference. Here's my final take. Take it or leave it. Okay. <laughs> I think... If a woman who also shows dogs, she should not feel restricted by a general acceptance of mediocrity from the waist down. You know, if you want to sass it up out there, if you want to wear a shoe that's both cute and comfortable and they'll look great against the red of your Irish setter, please do it. Please do it. Yeah, I agree with that. I would advise against wearing a shoe that's too precarious, like a stiletto or like a platform or something. I would say like even just a one incher is like probably pushing it. I think flats are probably the way to go. But I don't want to restrict you from that either. Right. You do you girls. But just know we're out here and we support you. Yeah. The Animal Fan Club supports uh, dog handlers of all genders. All genders, all styles of dress, all modes of expression. Yeah. All color of stockings. Just no mustard yellow. It doesn't look good on anybody. You look like a GD emoji. Gross. That's your opinion. That's my opinion, and it's strong. The opinions of Meredith Jurgens do not necessarily respect the opinions of Animal Fan Club Enterprises <laughs> or Brand Clubby. Well, shall we um, get into some animals who don't wear tights Yeah, that I know of? <laughs> you're, I mean, you're being awfully presumptuous about my animal, Meredith, first of all, <laughs> but you're correct. My animal does not wear tights. Yet. Ready? Okay. Texana, you. Texana we. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. Animalia. That should be obvious by now. Phylum. Chordata. Vertebrates are super grits. Class. Mammalia. Milk party. Order. Artiodactyla. Even toed. Undulates. Raise a hoof. Family. Cervidae. Deer. Genus. Range of fur. It's super duper obvious. Species. Tyrandus, Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen, Reindeer. Amazing. Yay! Yeah, got it in one, Meredith. I love it. Uh, we're here to talk about the reindeer. It is, uh, it's a creature. It's a, we have an even-toed undulate. It's a member of the deer family. It's not actually a true deer. I, yep, Okay. I was wondering if this this was coming. I know. It, this is a twisted thing to keep track of. So there's two subfamily within deer, and I'm not confident on the pronunciation of these, so we're going to call the one the New World Deer, which is what the reindeer is part of, but then there's the mm-hmm. Old World Deer, and within the subfamily of the Old World Deer, there is a tribe, the True Deer. This It's the Cervinae are the Old World Deer, and the Cervini are the True Deer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which includes some of the more iconic deer in Europe, which is probably why that's what represents the quote-unquote true deer. Okay. A good example is the red deer, which is what we think of when we think of a stag. Like okay. A, like kind of a house Baratheon moment. Gotcha. And when you look at the different pictures of the different kinds of deers, especially being an Ohio native who yep. saw lots of white-tailed deer. Absolutely. These larger red deer, they're imposing and, and quite... Um, ostentatious. I love an ostentatious deer. Myself also. (laughs) Shout out to Carl Linnaeus for choosing the name Rangifer for our genus. So they have a circumpolar distribution. So they're in like North America, Siberia, and Europe. They kind of go around the North North Pole. Pole. And the New World, Old World division is a little misleading here because it's the same species all the way around. Gotcha. 
In Europe, caribou are called reindeer, and in North America, reindeer are called caribou. <laughs> it's the same thing. So within the reindeer species, there's gobs of subspecies. I think that there's 14 and like two are extinct or something like that. Oh, wow. They live in woodlands, tundras, on islands, and the shire species like to live in boreal forests. <sighs> Oh, do they peek out from behind the trees? Yeah, at, at when it's dark out and the northern lights, uh-huh. uh, the aurora borealis are going over the forest yes. and they just kind of peek out and they're like, we're the shy ones. And then they tuck <laughs> back behind the tree. I'm the shy one. It's like a boy band. Yes, it is like a boy band. Who would the old one be? <laughs> the old one would be the moose. Oh, yeah. Moose does look like an old man. Yeah. And then the tall one would be like the elk. Although I think the moose is like bigger. Yeah. The moose is the Joey Fatone. Right. Uh, yeah. But who is the Chris Kirkpatrick? Probably the white-tailed deer. They do love their cornrows. So let's talk about the physical attributes of these reindeer. So obviously there's differences across the different subspecies. Obviously. And generally the males are larger than the females. Mm-hmm. So the smallest, uh, I mean, they're typically like 33 to 59 inches tall. Okay. And then like 64 to 84 inches in length. So, I mean, that's a pretty substantial sized creature. Yeah. And then, you could ride it. Yeah. They weigh anywhere from 180 to 400 pounds generally. That's a big span. Well, the larger males can get up to 700 pounds. Jeez. It's okay. a lot. That's a very heavy creature. That is. Well, I was initially thinking, okay, like 180 pounds to 400 pounds, that's Still within the range that a human could feasibly be. Oh, totally. I know people in all ranges of those weights. Right. I'm kind of right in the middle of that. I am out of that, but I won't say which way. So the males typically live like 13 years. The females outlive the males. They live to be about 17 years. And the ladies usually start breeding between the ages of like one and three. It's hard to not map on, you know human lifespans and human life events onto totally. these things. I know. It just seems so fucked up. I know. It's like, well, when I was 13, that would have been what? Like the end of middle school. Right. Like seventh grade. Yep. Seventh grade. I'm glad I've had a chance to accomplish more since then. Yes. I've been thinking about this often because I'm about to wear a dress to an event that I initially wore when I was 15. And I was literally today thinking of all of the things that have happened in my life in between me wearing this dress at age 15 and age 34. I have a lot to be proud of. You sure do. I'd say. This podcast being one of them. Yeah. (laughs) Living dreams. Killing schemes. So on our even-toed undulate friends, we have these uh, large, beautiful antlers that the reindeer is Mm. known for. Iconic antlers. Yes. In fact, the reindeer is the only deer species where the ladies have antlers as well as the males. So if you see a reindeer with antlers, you can't be like, that's definitely a dude. That's so interesting. I know. It also makes me feel really great about just always like the antlers that I'm wearing right now. Yeah. Maybe maybe you can hear them. Audience at home, let's see. I'm going to shake them into the microphone. They have bells on them. It's so cute. But it's not declaring my, it's not like a gender reveal party on my head. No. You know what I mean? No, you could be, you could be anything. I know, it's fun. So the antlers start growing on the males in March and April. And the ladies, they typically start growing in like May or June. (laughs) And the process of the antlers growing is called antlerogenesis. Okay. 
creative. So what happens is they get covered in a thick, spongy velvet type <gasps> situation oh. that's called the velvet. It's The velvet. Yeah, like the velvet. And it's filled with blood vessels. And so that's like what grows the antlers. That's the antler <gasps> genesis. And then once they're, they're grown, then the velvet falls off the antlers, <gasps> then they use the antlers to fight. Sometimes you see these photos of deer and their antlers look really bloody. And that's just after the velvet has kind of come off of them. <gasps> oh my gosh. I know it's crazy. So kids talk not about like losing their virginity, but they talk about losing their velvet. Yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, speaking of indigenous cultures, there's a, I, I, There was so much information about the reindeer that I really had to maintain a narrow focus on this. So I don't remember all the exact terms, but there was a a calendar month where the name of the month was the time when the velvet falls off the caribou. (gasps) Like that was the translation. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And there were, there were even like laws written about how many you could hunt and all this kind of thing. Right. Totally. Yeah. After they mate, the antlers fall off of the males. And then it said that the ladies keep the antlers until they calf, which is, um, I'm a little curious about that one detail because that would mean that the antlers would stay on all the way through the cold month. I'm just not quite sure about that. What do you mean they lose them? Like they literally fall off? Oh, the antlers quite literally fall off. And they just grow back over the course of the year? Well, yeah, exactly. So... The antler life cycle is thus. For a typical male, the antlers start growing in March or April. Okay. The velvet comes off (laughs) during the rutting season. And then after the rutting season, the antlers come off and they're antlerless until the next springtime, March or April. And then they start their antlerogenesis process all over again. So an antlerless reindeer means they just boned. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> There's no hiding that one. It means that they're recovering from rutting season. That's a nicer way to say than bitch fucked. They have a thick pelt, a dense woolly undercoat, and a longer haired overcoat with hollow air-filled hairs. Sounds like a high-tech winter jacket. It, well, it's also doubles as a life preserver. It's been noted <laughs> oh that God. they swim high in the water, and it's thought because of all this air-filled hair. (laughs) Their hoofs adapt to the season. They're large and concave and have a thick, fleshy shape in the summer to grasp onto all that mud. Mm -hmm. But then they get a hard and thin shape in the winter, reducing contact with the cold ground. Oh, my gosh. Great. They can see ultraviolet light, which helps in the Arctic because things like urine and fur and all those types of things produce sharp contrast in ultraviolet, but not in our visible range. And then their circadian rhythm situation is kind of like, cool um because during the arctic summer it's continuous daylight Uh so they don't quite have the same pattern Mm -hmm. but they set to an altradian pattern in which they sleep when they need to digest food okay i do that too same they're ruminants much like our other untrue deer our trigulidae friends yes they eat lichens in the winter do you know about lichens that's like moss yeah, it's it's a sort of like composite organism situation, mm-hmm. but yes, generally a fungus. Uh, and they can in, they can also eat reindeer lichen. They're the only large mammal able to metabolize lichen because they have specialized bacteria and protozoa in their guts. They'll eat willows, birches, grasses, and sedges. I was hoping sedges would be in this list. 
we've talked about sedges without actually knowing about sedges enough that I've learned a little bit about sedges. <laughs> I'd like to share a sedge fact with you, and that's that two famous sedges in, are water chestnuts and papyrus. Water chestnuts? And papyrus. Water chestnuts? I love water chestnuts. They're so good. That's a sedge? It's a sedge. (gasps) We eat sedges too? We eat sedges too. Oh man, this is the best thing I've heard all day. I'm glad that I could uh, improve the quality of your life with my sedge fact. I love a sedge fact. Back to reindeer. Okay. (laughs) They are also known to eat their own fallen antlers. What? Yeah, they're like, well, I used it during rutting season until it fell off, and now I'm going to eat it. I guess that's like maybe us eating a booger. Sure. Similar. Shedded detritus. Yeah, for the calcium. Yeah. Whatever else is in there. I don't know what else is in there. I don't either. Predators, we have golden eagles and wolverines. They go after the calves. Okay. Brown bears, polar bears, and gray wolves. They will kill caribou of all ages. Right, right. And then the mosquito and pals blood-sucking insect gang. (laughs) They can drain an adult reindeer of about one liter of blood every week during the summer. Oh, sick. Yeah, I know. I've heard. I watched. It was a Werner Herzog documentary called Happy People of the Taiga, I think. So around Siberia. And they had to like spread themselves in tar, essentially, just to be able to be outside without just getting obliterated by mosquitoes. They're really bad up there around the Arctic Circle, apparently. I believe it. In the summer months. I should say. So let's talk about the rut. Okay. Honestly, it sounds like a lot. The males battle for the females. That's what the antler business is all about. Okay. Most dominant males can end up mating with between 15 and 20 females. Dang. During the rut, the male stops eating and turns his full focus to reproducing, losing much of his body reserve, and they can lose up to 40% of their body weight. From trying to get it on. Yeah, so we're talking about going from 700 pounds <laughs> yes. to like 530 pounds. Damn. I know. Sweat into the oldies indeed. Major sweat into the oldies. So the rut takes place like late September to early November, which is just like, that's a bender, man. <laughs> oh my God. These poor dudes aren't even going to like have a little sedge snack, you know? No. Uh, The gestation period ranges from 228 to 234 days. How many months is that? It's like seven and a half to eight months. Okay. So now let's talk about how reindeers interface with Christmas, which is tomorrow. Right. Happy Christmas Eve, everybody. The first reference to Santa's sleigh being pulled by a reindeer was in 1821 in this anonymous illustrated children's poem called Old Santa Claus with Much Delight. And it's that's S-A-N-T-E-C-L-A-U-S. And it was, yeah, it was an illustrated children's poem published in New York. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know who the author was. And uh, it talks about how, you know, oh, Santa Claus with much delight, his reindeer drives this frosty night or chimney tops and tracks of snow to bring his yearly gifts to you. What? Yeah, different era of maybe snow rhymes with you. (laughs) And tracks of snoo to bring his yearly gifts to you. Oh, Morty. In 1823, we get Twas the Night Before Christmas, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's how we all know it. You right. Know, Twas the Night Before Christmas and all through the house. This is when we get to eight reindeer on Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen and Comet and Cupid and Donner, Donner and, Blitzen. and Blitzen. 
Then we move to 1902, where we have The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, which was by L. Frank Baum. And there was a oh, list Wizard of... Oh, Wizard of Oz. Oh, is he used the Wizard of Oz? I believe so. Hmm. It includes a list of 10 reindeer, none of which match the names that we all know. <laughs> so we have Flossie and Glossy. And they're Flossie? The, Flossie and Glossy. Yes. They're the principal reindeer. The head reindeers. Yeah, the reindeer captains. Mm-hmm. And then Claus gathers eight more reindeer, also named in rhyming pairs. We have Racer and Pacer. Mm-hmm. Fearless and Peerless. Okay. Which is a weird name because he literally has like, he's there's a peer whose name is Fear and they, and they rhyme. Peerless is a bold name. We have Ready and Steady. And then we have Feckless and Speckless. Okay. Really stretched it for those last all ones right, there. All right, I'll give it to him, but. By the time this was made into a television special in 1985, the producers were like, 10 is too many. We're going to just, you know, give eight unnamed reindeer. Okay. And then, of course, how could we not recall the most famous reindeer of all? Rudolph. (laughs) That's right, Meredith. You got it. I'm trying to think of something funny, but I thought butthead. Butthead. Real great. Yeah. Just about as clever as those dumb rhyming names. Sure. It was your your joke was peerless. <laughs> yeah. Rudolph's story was originally written in verse in 1939 hmm. for the Montgomery Ward chain of department stores by Robert L. May. Cute. Yeah. Apparently, you know, we all know the story. His red nose, nobody liked it. And then uh, there was a problem. There was fog, you know, and what are we going to do? And uh, Rudolph's glowing red nose there is just going to light the way for us. But I I see now that there's a detail that I didn't really understand is that they were visiting Rudolph's house to deliver the presents. And Santa saw the red nose and was like, you're perfect. (laughs) Which is the story that like every young aspiring starlet hopes to hear about original auditions, you know. Exactly. I was swept up. As I mentioned before, it's obvious that the relationship between Native people and caribou is, I mean, it was very tight. And it was, it's really a system of life, like traveling around with the herds and migrating with the herds. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that it's, I think that this, there's a lot of resource on the reindeer online. And I'd encourage you to explore it on your own. There's really no way to kind of encapsulate it all here. Right. Within the scope of what we're doing. Oh, you know, Meredith, I have a fun reindeer fact. Their knees click. They have this weird, like, cartilaginous clicky sound in their knees, and sometimes the ladies can use the, like, loudness or the timbre of the sound of the knee click to determine, like, hierarchy of the males. Isn't that weird? Like, you want the one with the ricketyest bones? Yeah, you want the one with the creakiest tendons. Ugh! That's not how I pick a mate. It's like that. Yeah, I'd say that... I mean, I don't know. I usually look for different qualities than clicky knees. Only strong knees in my bed. Hallelujah. Well, on that note, let's take a break. Let's do it. Sick of the same old gift ideas? I seriously cannot look at another pair of fuzzy socks or smell another cake-scented candle. Well, check out my new necklace. 
complete with its own owl pellet pendant. Oh my gosh, Rhonda, it's gorgeous. Just look at that sparkle. I know, right? That signature sparkle comes from the fish scales our owl friend couldn't digest. Owl pellets aren't just for elementary school dissection projects anymore, huh? Heavens no. Now all the fashion-forward fillies in your life can proudly wear their own made-to-order owl pellet pendants. And just in time for the holidays. I know I have a special niece who would just love one. You can even choose the owl digestion vessel. You mean I can get a Pell's fishing owl pellet pendant? Yeah, or a great horned owl pellet. Whichever one you choose, you or your loved one is sure to appreciate the unique bone structure that emerges within 10 days of heavy use. Simply gorgeous. Pets, I wish you had also Pets, I wish you had also 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 met. Also I wish you had also met. Meredith, we're here back again for Pets I Wish You Had Also Met. How I, thrilling. How thrilling. I do love this segment because, God, I love a pet. Myself also. Would you care to go first? Sure. It's going to be another cat. I'm sorry. I'm not at all surprised. Yeah, you shouldn't be. So this this cat's name was Sugar. Sugar is no longer with us. So Sugar was the neighborhood wise sage cat. Like he was an outside cat. I would often like house sit and cat sit when Sugar's owners were away. But he was just a wild soul that could not be tamed. Like he hated staying inside, but he was just this beautiful white long-haired cat like pure white he was just so sweet and we have so many pictures of him actually oh my gosh just there's so much to talk about with this cat was he like a fluffy white cat yeah he was a fluffy white cat like a big poofy like stand next to the window treatment and just look like a fluffy cat fluffy cat yeah sugar was like kind of a he was like our outside cat even though he wasn't our cat but he was like he spent so much time around our house because my mom at this point this was actually when mike you and i would have been in our master's program together this was like sugar's like prime roaming time oh wow though he was a little older at that point he was an elder kitty but still like keeping (laughs) drive like secure nice so my mom was in the habit of like giving all the neighborhood cats like catnip so they started coming by the house like at regular times so sugar would literally always come by when we were eating dinner around like 5 30 because your mom was just passing out catnip yeah so we would know he was there because from the kitchen table you could see outside the windows by our front door and there would be sugar's little face watching us eat so my mom would give him catnip and then he'd go around to the back door and get more catnip in the back it was so silly but he was just like i loved this cat i used to like look out my window at night and just kind of watch him like stalk around the different yards and like i had friends that would visit from out of town and he would just be so friendly and sweet with them so sugar he was almost like a spiritual like soothing presence i think uh-huh because he actually um witnessed our other cat midnight like our family cat die which was crazy because wow. like but he and midnight were like buddies cuz my dad would always open the door and he and midnight are black fat cat with like touch noses and they would just be really sweet with each other instead of like super territorial and all like but they like got along and midnight always loved when sugar would come over they were little buds that's cute actually like when midnight collapsed on the floor my parents said they looked up and sugar was like looking like watching the whole thing in the window oh 
Yeah, which actually kind of made me feel a lot better knowing that Midnight's Buddy was there and like this beautiful white angel cat just happened to be there. And I also remember when my grandma passed away and we had like all the family over at the house, I looked out the window and my cousin was just sitting out on the front stoop by herself hanging out with sugar. Yeah. It's so crazy. They know. They really do know. And I, yeah, we have so many beautiful pictures of sugar, like looking at himself in the brass kick plate at our front door. I have so many pictures of that cat he was just i loved him i think there was something like really spiritual and special about him too yeah so i'm really happy to actually be like recounting all of this stuff in a recorded medium just to like appreciate him yeah to preserve the history of sugar yeah sugar so beautiful love that cat that's really that was really special oh thank you um well i know it's a surprise that I'm going to bring another dog offering. I know that you're shocked to hear that. I am not shocked, but I'm not upset about it. This is a dog that I met through my pet sitting business. Yes. That I operated as a child, which is to say that my family did all the work. Yeah. So Atticus is uh, a miniature dachshund. And he's got this gorgeous caramel colored coat. A beautiful dachshund yeah about maybe like three quarters of a cubit you know if you will like could fit right in your forearm and you could be like petting his you know under neck region and like his tail would be like hitting your bicep you know yeah oh just the most adorable and sweetest little dachshund and there was a little bit of like a tragic origin story to him where he had belonged to a, a gentleman uh, who passed away and then mm-hmm. the dog went to live with his parents. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when we when we knew Atticus. It was And, you know, the, some retirees, they had all these vacations and everything and they had a lifestyle that they were living. So we kind of saw Atticus a lot. Mm-hmm. And he had a lot of special privileges at our house. Like he would get up on the chairs and then he would sit up on top of the back of the big sofa chair. Yeah. Oh, it was the best. And his time at our pet camp coincided with my like exploration into photography and my like foot photography class at the community college during the summer. You know, I was in uh-huh. like middle school. Or Did whatever. you say foot photography? It's possible, but I didn't mean to. I meant to just say photography. Oh, okay. That is very specific and very weird. That professor was like... Is it weird (laughs) at this point? Yeah, the professor's only into pictures of feet. You know, when you love your job, they say you don't work a day in your life. His Instagram handle is pettyphotog, P-E-D-I. That probably maps onto some other activities of his as well. I would imagine. Back to Atticus. Thank you. Batticus. Batticus. So I took all these glamour shots of him in the backyard with like black and white film and then developed it in a dark room and everything. And I mean, he was just a, uh, he was a really like gorgeous creature too. Like that was a good specimen. Short hair. Short hair. Yeah. Short hair, like red dachshund. It's just like a good, I've long said after knowing Atticus that like, I feel like a dachshund is the right size for like a silly apartment dog you know what i Uh mean totally like and they're generally kind of goofy they're hounds you know they're Mm -hmm. fun but they're just little compact like silly goofy hounds totally 
There were a couple that lived um, a couple floors down from us. I think they've since passed away because I haven't seen them lately. They were just kind of blind and old by mm. the end. But so the owner, she would let them, coming back from letting them pee, she would just let them like bounce around in the lobby area downstairs. So I'd come in and see these dogs just kind of like skipping around. They're so cute. Getting their sillies out. They really were. It was oh, adorable. I would always look forward to seeing them like doing their little prance. They're blind prance around the lobby. I think that's what I have to say about Atticus. Atticus sounds adorable. I like wiener dogs a lot. Yeah, he was great. Atticus was a great dog and like super fun and super chill. I don't remember him being particularly mischievous. Yeah. But he definitely like, he could kind of do whatever he wanted, Mm -hmm. you know. God bless. God bless. Pets I wish you had also met. 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 Pets I wish you had met. Also met. Yes. Pets. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. And Amelia. Sansons would be proud. Phylum. Cordata. Scoliosis is a risk. Class. Aves, our sweet feathered friends. Order. Galliforms, foul ball. Family. Phasianidae, rich people hunt them. Genus. Perdix, the unfortunate nephew of Daedalus. Species. Perdix, Perdix. They don't live in pear trees, but it's a partridge. Oh, I'm so excited you chose the partridge. Yeah, I had to go birds. You know I'm a bird-loving gal. When we were planning this episode, we mm-hmm. hired a neutral third party yes. to vet the animals because we were concerned that we would both pick the same one. And I did almost pick the partridge. Yeah, I thought about reindeer too. But I was like, I'm going to back off the aves. That's Meredith's territory. <laughs> I'm going to focus on the undulates. That's my comfort zone. It really has become your comfort zone. I just love a hoof. Yeah, so let's talk about partridges. And we can kind of start by saying that the whole partridge in a pear tree makes zero sense because partridges don't really hang out in trees at all. Is that so? Yeah. So like many of their feathered friends in the order of Galliforms or Galliformis, I'm not sure how how to pronounce that, or the family of Phasianidae, they're largely described as kind of I believe the word used was rotund. They're heavy, rotund, ground-loving birds. So this applies to like turkeys, chickens, pheasants, quails, all of these game fowl. Sure. Did you figure out if is gallus where the that separates out and or is it the pheasants where it more separates out? In terms of what? Like to game birds specifically. I think Galliforms is the game birds. Okay. And I was actually trying to figure out, it's funny you say this because I was really trying to figure out what specificity we gain when we move into, when we move from order to family, from Galliforms to Phasianidae. And it's really, I can't really tell what becomes more specific between those two things. I see. Yeah. I I was reading the different pages for each of them. I was like, this is all the same general information. Hmm. Yeah. I will say that I've found that too. Sometimes it's like, it's the, the system works, but it's a little clunky because yeah. you'll get like subfamilies and infraorders and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes it gets really dense and complex between two things. But then right. sometimes it's just like you draw a straight line for a while. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess where it gets more specific is when we get to genus, the Perdix is the name. Generally, so all of these these game birds, generally, they don't really hang out in trees. Turkeys would be an exception, wild turkeys, because they do 
nest in the trees at night. That's where they sleep. Sure. But yeah, these these little partridges, they like the ground. They like to hang out in pastures, kind of like meadowlands. Um, one of the articles I read said they like to hang out in cereal fields, so like wheat fields, uh-huh. um, often around the periphery because adult partridges like seeds, so they're primarily seed-eating creatures. But the young are actually more um, carnivorous because they actually feed on insects because they need that protein to grow up to be big, plump, cute little partridges. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're really cute. And the the reason I had partridges on the brain um, beyond just Christmas was because on Chonky Animals, one of my favorite Instagram accounts. It's a good account. It gives me so much joy. There was a partridge... And I just, I actually wrote down the caption because it made me laugh so hard. It just had like, it said like, partridges are so plump and huggable. And then underneath it said, fucking superb, you funky little birdie. What? That was the caption <laughs> yeah, of it? And that just, you know what? That um really spoke to me. <laughs> yeah. Fucking superb. You funky little birdie. It's so good. Yeah. That, that feels right. Yeah. The, sometimes the internet hits a home run. It really does. <laughs> Yeah, so these guys, again, no trees. They're just plucking around on the ground, like literally just looking for seeds or insects for the young. And speaking of the young, so the partridge actually is a bird known for having one of the largest clutches of birds. Oh, really? Yeah. So the partridge on record, I don't believe she was named, but let's name her Polly. Polly had a clutch of 25 chicks which is a lot of That's little birdies a lot of mouths to feed i know a lot of insects to pump into those little beaks sure is so cute though it is really adorable yeah interestingly you know how when you look up these animals there's often that scale of like least concern to like highly like, critically endangered yes so these guys are actually listed as least concerned but in england where i think historically we often associate like hunting for partridge You hear a lot about like a lot of recipes for partridge in England, around the UK and in Ireland. They're actually, their population is very much declining and they're actually kind of hard to find. And it didn't, none of these sources really discussed why. I don't know if it's necessarily like an overhunting thing or it's probably loss of habitat. All the usual shitty things that happen to species. So it seems like kind of culturally the Brits have a large claim over the partridge and other, I think there's just a big tradition of hunting on your manor grounds, going out hunting partridge for the day. It does sound very English. Like, what's for tea? Partridge. Partridge cakes. Partridge petit fours. That's a thing. I'm going to take your word on it. I don't know. I mean, petit four are definitely like tea cakes, but I doubt they ever involve like a partridge pudding cream middle. Gross. It does sound gross. I'm sure they've made it though. I'm sure somebody's done that in some kitchen on a dare. So in terms of their mating habits, I mean, it's nothing super crazy. It's not like bowerbird style where like the men are building like elaborate castles to woo the women. And dancing in front of them. And dancing around in front of them. God bless those funky little birdies. Yeah, I love them. They're so good. We'll have to do them one of these days. Totally. So the men will just, you know, in typical male fashion, they'll puff up their chest, reveal the dark spot on their belly. Ooh. And then the women just kind of like bob their heads at them as if to say, yes, 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 yes. Puff it up. Puff it up. (laughs) It all sounds very cute. It does sound really cute. And then um, they also have their characteristic call. And to me, I guess the best way to describe it, 
kind of sounds like when you're um, cleaning a window with Windex and you get that <laughs> sound. Yeah. So that's like the closest analog I can think of wow. to replicate the call of the partridge. Yeah, so that's what they sound like when they're conversing with one another. What kind of stuff do they say to each other, do you think? How's your week today, Susan? So, Mike, getting to the Christmas aspect of the partridge. Please. What do you think the partridge and the pear tree represents in that song, The Twelve Days of Christmas? Does it represent Jesus? It sure does. Is the pear tree the cross? Um, The pear tree... I think it's actually, I read one thing that the pear tree is actually seen to be some sort of mistranslation from the French word, I think, perdix, which is the name of the species. I cannot stand fully by that statement, but I did read something. It seems like the pear tree was some sort of like translational mishap. So I don't know what the pear tree stands for, but the partridge I did read would be associated with Jesus because the parents of the partridge are willing to sacrifice themselves for the sin of their young or just for their young in general. Can you elucidate that? How do they sacrifice themselves? I didn't read that part. So the answer is no, you cannot elucidate. No, I can't. I didn't do that part of the assignment, Mr. Mike. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But I think they'll just, they'll put themselves in harm's way. Like if a predator is coming for them, they'll like, Put themselves in front of the chicks is what. So in that way, they're like our pal's fishing owl friend, where they'll they'll somehow they'll do something to protect the child. Right, right. Create a distraction yeah. so the kid can get away. Right, just as Jesus did, so we could get away with murder in the eyes of God, because we're all saved, we're all washed free of our sin in the end because of what Jesus did. Right. Yeah. So we're all washed free because of what Jesus did. So this partridge is like Jesus insofar as the partridge would be willing to die for their children. Right. And so Jesus is willing to die for us, his flock of sheep, I guess. Yeah. I love the mixed metaphors of... Okay, so that in the Bible. <laughs> so in that sense, the partridge in the pear tree is like Jesus because of the paternal instincts of the partridge are analogous to the savior qualities of Jesus. Yes, exactly. And actually fun fact, a lot of people don't know this, but the 12 days of Christmas don't refer to anything having to deal with Advent. It's actually the season that comes to directly after Advent. So The first day of Christmas, the partridge in a pear tree is the birth of Jesus. Oh. And then so the 12 days after that, the 25th, I think up to January 5th. But that leads up to Epiphany in terms of like Catholic liturgical calendars. Epiphany meaning when the wise men realized that Jesus was the Savior born. Cool. Yeah. I'm a confirmed Catholic and I didn't know that's what all that meant. Yes, I too am a confirmed Catholic. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. What's your confirmation name? Mara. Uh, my confirmation name is Mark. Not, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Mike Mark. Michael William Mark Luno. Yeah, Meredith Ann Mara Jurgens. I didn't realize you were Catholic. How have we been friends for so long and have never talked about I that? I bet we've totally talked about this. I'm it's sure just, we have. You know. Maybe that was one of those late nights when we were like eating Skyline and listening to Sondheim after working the shift together at the sushi restaurant. Totally. Totally. Those were such good days. Yeah, the best of times. <laughs> and with the old wet lips. Old wet lips, yeah. <laughs> that was the name of my air purifier. 
do you know anything about the Partridge family? I feel like we were a little too young to like really. Oh my god, they didn't even cross it. my mind. I did watch it on Nick at Night. Oh yeah, on like Block Party Summer. Oh, I think it was like Partridge Family Tuesdays or something. They were that singing family that rode around in a bus. Yeah, they sang songs about like cool family stuff. They seemed like largely Mormon. Well, I don't know necessarily. They were definitely California, but they yeah. were like maybe it was a template for like wholesome California living where it's not quite as like repressed, if you will. It's like the enlightened 60s. I think it I think was actually it, a 70s show. Yeah, I think I just remember a lot of like long leather vests and big lapels and hair, just like very straight hair, mm-hmm. just like flowing. So I think Danny Bataducci's character had like long curly red hair. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm pr- surely combining it with uh, not the Adams family. Um, what Brady was Bunch. That one, yeah. Yeah. Like those two, the Brady Bunch and the Partridge family are like two that are kind of entangled with one another, and I don't necessarily know the difference. And I think I've even had situations where, I, like, you know, I've been like working, and somebody's like, "Oh, this is that person from that show," and I'm like, "Oh, cool," but I don't actually have it. Like, I never watched the show, you know. And yeah. It's, I feel like it was a Partridge, but I don't even <laughs> remember. You know what I mean? Yeah, that like sixth partridge that nobody remembers because it wasn't like the young cute one or like the hot girl it was just like some jan of the group well that's cool yeah do we have any yeah is there any other partridge facts do i have any partridge questions i don't think i do yeah i mean they're pretty straightforward well do you remember what it is it's five golden rings four calling birds three french hens two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree ding 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 Merry Christmas. What do the tango, the gavotte, and the twerk have in common? They are just three of the many styles of dance one can learn at Seven Lords of Leapin' Dance Studios in 12 Days of Christmas Plaza. This holiday season, we're offering a seven-class introduction package for all species and levels of dance ability. What a deal! Seven classes! Each class is taught by a different lord, so it's a great chance to try each lord before committing to a regular class. Think of it as seven first dates, but with someone who will then teach you how to dance. That sounds cool! And it's easy to sign up online with code CLUBBY or in person at our state-of-the-art dance and healing center. That's next door to the hip new ice cream parlor, Eight Maids of Milk and Creamery. I do love their chocolate sedge chip. I always go for the bivalve chip cookie dough. Yum, yum. Okay, we found it back onto the listener feedback. It's dark in here. This one is from Kevin in Kentucky. He says, greetings, Meredith and Mike. Well, greetings, Kevin. Greetings, Kevin. Can we expect to hear about some of our favorite longtime extinct or mythical animals in the future? As an avid dinosaur lover and manticore enthusiast, I'm wondering if these are welcome in the clubhouse. Thanks for a great show. Well, first of all, thank you, Kevin. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Kevin. We actually haven't talked about this, so this is going to be a pretty raw conversation. Yeah. I think that we already have done extinct animals. Totally. Martha was 1912. 12, I believe. Either that or 17, but I think it was 12. I think you're right. I think it was pre-World War I. Yeah. Okay, so we've already done extinct animals. Right. 
but we're talking about like long extinct animals like dinosaurs. Right. I looked into this and there honestly there wasn't enough taxonomy information to fill the cheer and at that point I oh. shifted my energy somewhere else. Yeah, cuz we got to we got to have the Linnaean influence. Yeah. I think though that in my study of the Tragulidae then I was starting to learn about some other extinct animals. And I think there are options for us to explore where there's enough information that it would be interesting and like could fill out the taxonomy cheer, which for me right now is the big test. Although I guess we could make an adapted taxonomy Right. We can just think out of the Linnaean taxonomic box. I think, yeah, I think this is a good line of inquiry for us to follow. Kevin, thank you. For long extinct animals, at least. Yeah. And then for mythological animals, I guess. What I don't know what a manticore is. I don't either. But I'm thinking, like, what if we did the history of, like, the Pegasus or something? We could have an all-mythical animals episode. I guess it is something that we could explore where we, yeah, we, we kind of maybe branch off from our form and do a sort, like what we did for the Thanksgiving special. Like a special Minotaur episode. Okay. I feel like the official position that we're kind of arriving at yeah. is that I don't know if expect is maybe the right word because it feels like that puts a lot of pressure, but I think that you can be not surprised to hear a, an episode about long extinct or mythical animals in the future. Well said. Okay, um, that's our official position. Ding, 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 ding. All right, so Sally from Santa Cruz asks this question. It's a little complicated. Okay, so between Chester Cheetah or a real cheetah, who would win the following battles? First battle is coolness. Definitely Chester Cheetah is much cooler than a regular cheetah. You think? Yeah, he's got sunglasses. And, dude, Cheetos. I know. Cheetos are pretty fucking good. They're like the coolest of the snacks. They really are. And they come in like all those different like raw and edgy paw shapes. Jalapenos, popper extravaganza. I would say that the Cool Ranch Doritos are not cooler than Cheetos. And I think that it's because they're trying too hard. Okay. What about Cooler Ranch? Even less cool. All right. All right. We'll talk off mic about this. What about the following battle? Who would win the battle of an antelope chase? Who would catch that antelope? A real cheetah without Real cheetah, no doubt. I mean, Sally, these are just so easy. Okay, this one gets a little harder. Who would win in a ballroom dance-off? Chester cheetah or a real cheetah? (sighs) I mean, my thought is that Chester cheetah, he's like probably a little too cool for school. Like, his paws are kind of clunky, you know? So I can't imagine him being nimble in the way that a real cheetah would be. I just think that my takeaway from watching Chester Cheetah dance would be that it's not strictly ballroom. That was such conviction. But it's a ballroom competition specifically, right? right? So you're doing foxtrots, you're doing pasta dobles, you're doing Viennese waltz. Right. I think maybe I would trust Chester with with more of a hip-hop style or like maybe if it was a breakdance competition, I would vote for him. You know, I wouldn't really give him more than like beating a 13-year-old at like a bar mitzvah. Yeah, I don't know that he'd off. even be like really that great at any... I mean, he'd just be cool because he's like Chester Cheetah. Yeah, he's cool. So, you're, you know, you're going to throw that one to him like, okay... 
you beat Simon in the dance-off, but, like, I mean, a real But cheetah. did you beat Simon in the dance-off? He's an icon. He doesn't have to be good at dancing. It's true. He just dances as Chester. I think that the cheetah would win, be superior at the ballroom dancing competition. Okay, so if we're going through for our fish position, in a battle of coolness, Chester Cheetah would take the Cheeto. In an antelope chase... A real cheetah would take the antelope, yeah. whereas in a ballroom dance-off, a real cheetah would take the gold-plated ballroom stiletto. Does that mean that it's two to one in favor of real cheetahs over Chester Cheeto? I guess so. So the cheetah wins. Ding, 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 ding. ding. A fish position to the cheetah. Boom. Okay, our third question is uh, from the props department, and it's not uh, really a question as much as it's a statement of judgment with a link to a Wikipedia article. It's, I can't believe you didn't mention this weirdness. And then the Wikipedia article is about buffalo. Okay. And it's a sentence that's apparently grammatically correct. Buffalo, 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 buffalo. Um... I guess it's hard to know, like, where to begin because, like, how do we determine an official position on this? I guess we have to first decide what is the question that he's asking. Why didn't we include it? We didn't include it because we didn't know about it. But, like... I did know about it. You I chose did? to not include it. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, the plot thickens. Well, just because it doesn't really... I don't know. It's... Yes, is it a is it a curiosity? Absolutely. Did I want to go through and explain each part of speech in that sentence that Buffalo can... So if, like, there's the verb, buffalo can fit into that slot. If it's the noun, buffalo can fit into that slot. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because it's a proper, just to elucidate a little bit, I don't totally understand this. I need to dissect this further. You know, buffalo, it can be a proper noun to refer to the mm-hmm. city of Buffalo, New York. So buffalo, buffalo could be the, the creature buffalo from buffalo. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then to buffalo is kind of an uncommon phrase, but it means to bully, harass, or intimidate. Yeah, it's also a tap step. You can, like, buffalo across the floor. Yeah, buffalo could shuffle off to buffalo. Yes. There's all these, like, diagrams in this article about how sentences work. See, that's what I'm not here to talk about grammar, okay? And also, that was a serious conversation about Native Americans being robbed of their spiritual currency. And you didn't want to muddy it up with... Didn't want to muddy it up with the grammar lesson. Yeah, I'm more of a grammar anti-fascist than a grammar Nazi, personally. Okay. But that just means that I'm kind of ignorant of grammar, really. Okay, well, can I propose the official position? Yes. Is because that wasn't really what we were focusing on, although, yes, it is an interesting curiosity. Thank you for all of the Ricola and the mints, and I feel fully supported, and everything always shows up on time when I need it to show up, and that's pretty much my favorite thing in the whole world like high five props is tops nice <laughs> can that be our fish position Ab- absolutely great ding 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 well what an exciting trip into the feedback keep those questions coming animal fan club pod at gmail.com we love them Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next 
next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan Club. <laughs>